0: Well, it's time to get up. It's Monday, the 15th of June, 2020, and I think we're all ready for the world to be over at this point. Um, Nothing much uh, left around here. I mean, we've got uh, Hertz going bankrupt, we've got 24-hour fitness going under, we've got... um, China saying they're going to warm up to the idea of Trump being in office for four more years. we got a lot of stuff to get into. And with that being said, it's already time for the opening salvo. So the big idea, the opening salvo, the first shot that we're going to fire across our minds and our food for thought, it's going to come down to What should there be an amendment in the Constitution to allow the freedom of commerce? See, we have this idea now that rights are distributed to us by the government. Of course, that's not what our founders thought. That's not what, for many years, the idea of individual natural rights were presented as. But it seems today that our lawmakers and those who teach law have this idea that rights are provided by the government, not recognized by the government. And there's a big difference there. See, the concept of natural rights, as laid out in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, is essentially that these rights exist whether or not a government exists. That God, or as our Constitution, or Declaration of Independence puts it, Nature's God has given men certain inalienable rights outside of the government. That you and I have the right to speak our minds regardless of any social pressure of what our friends might think. There is nothing physically stopping me From screaming at the top of my lungs in my own home. Or speaking my mind as I see fit. And that no government can take that right away. Yet, we now have this idea, it seems, that the government gives us our rights. That our government is somehow based on some virtue that came out of nowhere in the course of human history and that they can take it away at any point. Well, the fact of the matter is that they can't. Now, in addition to those rights and how the the founders defined these rights, they came more from many different philosophies that emerged during the Enlightenment. And this is a period of human history between uh, the 16, really Western history and European history, between the 1650s and the 1750s. Some people even put it as early as 1600. But the ideas still stay the same. The concept of rationalism, that everything can be proved and that reason is the truest virtue, That the ability to reason is what makes us great. But we seem to have lost the ability to do that. And when it comes to commerce, can we not say that we have the freedom of trade whether or not a government exists? Think of the symbiotic relationships in nature that can be observed. When one thing dies, it turns into fertilizer for the rest. There's a trade-off there. All of the, the different animal kingdoms and the natural bartering even between packs of wolves among themselves and other creatures. That's all in the natural world. Again, we can observe that. And in humans, in the earliest human societies we can still observe trade and some form of commerce going on before the early systems of government were even founded. So should we not include the freedom of trade and commerce in our list of natural rights? That it exists whether or not the government does, and the government only exists to protect that right and protect it from other oppressive regimes. Because in reality, that's all the government is there to do. You have John Locke's famous three things that the government does. And essentially, it enforces legal contracts. The government has a right to raise the military to protect the social contract. And the government ought to deliver the mail on time. Those Those were the three things that John Locke said... Were the only purposes of government. And I would argue that it is just as important to make sure that the government protects the right of trade. You can see some allusions to it in many of the early laws that our founders put together. In the sense that trade, that that states cannot put tariffs on each other. They cannot refuse to to do deals with other states. That while we're in a union, these states are not necessarily competing with each other. So it's not totally out of the realm of possibility. And I'll tell you what, it's probably. It's probably a lot closer to what the founders would argue than any Supreme Court decision about trans and homosexual rights. That was the opening salvo, and I'm sure you'll find the rest of the show just as interesting. When we come back, we got the Hertz bankruptcy on tap. Stay with us. Well, here we go. Hertz is the first to fall to an overzealous government. It's not JCPenney. It's not Pier 1 Imports. It's not one of these companies that's been circling the drain for years. Hertz was, for all intents and purposes, relatively stable until a couple of governors got on a power trip and decided that this 50-year-old company did, just didn't need to exist anymore. Now, I'm not saying that they targeted Hertz or that that they went after this specific company, but in overreacting to the flu, essentially, this is what it turned out to be. You look at the death numbers of COVID, you look at the amount of people who died, and those might be inflated because, again, we know for a fact that uh, we were putting, in many cases, COVID-positive patients back in nursing homes. We know for a fact that the CDC and and, uh, doctors have been listing numerous deaths as COVID that may not be. You saw that in San Diego where they had to revise the numbers there. We know for a fact that doctors were paid more for putting on people on ventilators, even though the ventilators would have killed them. We know for a fact that these numbers have been greatly inflated, and it still came out to a, a, a slightly worse flu season. Yeah, this makes me a little bit mad. Because that company, hurts had a right to exist. Not only to exist, but how many people were employed by Hertz that now no longer have a job? They weren't over-leveraged into derivatives. They weren't over-leveraged into uh, uh, different investments, and they didn't just have a buyout of another company. This wasn't a CEO making a bad move. This was 100% preventable. 100% preventable and now what you've left a void in the market you have all of these cars obviously that were rented by Hertz that are either going to have to be sold and flush the market with used cars which is going to hurt dealerships and prices in that respect which is going to put people from from the top of the food chain and your CEOs and your executives all the way down to your mechanics and your, your young salespeople. It's going to put all of them out of a job. And for what? So a politician can make a stand and say, I did something? But the re- hurts going bankrupt is symbolic of all the small businesses that have been crushed, of all the people who have crawled and scraped their way to be able to own a business to work hard to live out the american dream who just got slapped in the face by somebody who went to harvard or one of these uh uh, overpaid uh, uh pompous schools where they inflate your ego and teach you all the things that were great about the communist revolution send you out into the world send you right into politics law school wherever they never had to worry about running a business they had everything handed to them not only did they have everything handed to them, but then they made speeches about how people who had everything handed to them are bad people. And then that, 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 that immigrant who came over here and started a subway, or bought into a subway franchise, because he worked hard to get to where he wanted to go in this country. Now he's screwed. Uh, now he's got a slap in the face from this person. Now all the people who, maybe some of these people who worked for Hertz, the the mechanics and such, maybe they didn't have a great home life. But they went to a trade school, they learned to trade, they worked hard, they worked their way up, they worked at a reputable company, had a pension, all the things, they did everything right. And yet this educated politician comes in and takes their job away. And then struts around like they did something. This is the effects of bad policy. Everyone who was employed by Hertz has a family or someone that depends on them or someone that looks up to them that they've just let down or a kid to take care of. Heck, maybe it's just a dog to take care of. Or maybe it's just themselves and you took that away from them, and for what? For this nebulous idea of politics. Maybe to improve your own standing, so maybe you can get in the uh, the VP pool. This is why we need commerce protected. Under uh, Under the Constitution, the government has no right to do this. To come in and destroy the people's right to trade amongst themselves, to provide services for others, to make money from providing those services, to constructing a functional society and economy. The government has no right to dismantle that. But do you think any of these highfalutin lawyers and wherever they come from, politicians, do you think they care? Now, again, we're in Tennessee, and I get it. Bill Lee started his own company and all that stuff. Of course, Lee company is essential now. But he gets bullied by these doctors and so-called educated men. I'm not taking the blame away from him. He should have had more standards than he apparently does. Like I said, he he must make great pancakes because all he does is flip and flop. But this... This whole Hertz thing gets under my skin because it's 100% avoidable. If all we lost were Pier 1 Imports and and, and JCPenney, fine. They were dead anyways. But is it worth all the small businesses? Is it worth Hertz going down and now 24-hour fitness as well? 24-hour fitness was healthy. 24-hour fitness would have been one of the companies I'm sure that would have lasted for at least another quarter century. 35 years. Maybe more. Employing hundreds, at least tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people. Providing an income for families. Providing an opportunity for people if they decide to franchise out. And this is the thanks they get. this is the thanks they get from people who would have no job if it wasn't for the taxpayers. Now, I get it. We're not talking about all these uh, high-level concepts. We're not talking about personal finance and all the things that we usually do on this show. But sometimes it's important to sit down and call a spade a spade. This was 100% preventable. This should not have happened. And this is a mistake A misstep that, in some political circles, I'm sure isn't even viewed that way. I'm sure it's in some circles viewed as, ah, look, we destroyed the economy. Good, we're going to get at Trump. Because don't get it confused. That's what this is about. Because of all of for uh, of all of Biden's missteps, at least Trump could point to the economy for all of his own. Uh, uh, tweets and missteps and with language. He could always point to the economy. Can't do that anymore. Just watch September, October, right, getting into election season. The press can say, look at the destroyed economy. Look at the frayed race relations, even though they've been stroking the fire on that. That's not the scope of our show. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the economy here and how it's been blasted apart by overzealous politicians. Again, to get at Trump. They're taking people's livelihoods and people's lives and attempting to play politics with it. Because they don't see you as people. They don't see me as a person. They see us as expendable. They see us as subjects more than Americans. Americans. Ideas have consequences, people. We go in each one of these universities and we see the Marxist ideologies and we say, isn't that cute? They have a safe space. That's going to change once they're in the real world. And it doesn't. All these people want to do is destroy and burn America. Seeing that on display... But those aren't the people. Those are the useful idiots. Those are the ones you don't have to worry about. The ones you have to worry about are the ones who destroy the economy to play politics. To get us to this point of frustration. Those are the the ones, and they're they have political power. Those are the ones you have to worry about. And the reason I bring up universities is because we can point at the finger at who taught these people. That like you and me, all these people were born into a family, and born into a family in the the best country in the world, in many cases. The world, heck, the greatest country in the history of mankind. And they don't even respect it. They don't even respect its history, because of what they've been taught. And by extension, they don't respect you. They don't want to agree to the Constitution, that you, the people, that your forefathers... Put on them, that your forefathers knew that these kind of petty tyrants would show up at one point. Now, I get it. It's just Hertz Automotive on the surface. But beneath that, it's so much more. But beneath that, it's all the political ideologies and all of the nonsense that made it possible for this healthy company to implode like this. That's the problem. That's the issue. Not necessarily just the economic impact of it. Not just a company with a a great name brand and a relatively positive history. It's not... That's not what makes it sad. What makes it sad is that it was totally, completely unnecessary and would not have happened if we were not in an election year. But this is where we stand. So I suppose the question is, what do we do about it? Well, hopefully on a lighter note, we'll come back and we'll discuss uh, China saying that they're going to warm up to a Trump, potential Trump uh, 20 to 2024 second term. Stay with us. Well, it's 2020. Need I say more? I'm just kidding. But I do want to bring up this hit piece in Bloomberg, uh, which talks about how China actually wants Trump uh, in office. And this is probably because, you know, the statistics say that most Americans, I think 65%, actually recognize China as an enemy at this point. And this is a great turnaround. And I'm glad it's finally happened because they are, not only ideologically, but in how they act. They see us as an enemy. So we're not necessarily being the aggressor. We're just the first to actually... Treat them as such. So, anyways, this this hit piece in Bloomberg came out, and yeah, I get Bloomberg is usually money news and all that, but uh, you know they've obviously got their not only their own biases, but um, they've also got their uh, political news as well. And so, this article, which comes uh, to us uncredited, basically talks about how there's a, there was an interview conducted with nine current and former Chinese officials who as one of them, uh, Zhu Yao ming I'm not saying that right, but you know, I'm not Chinese. Uh, you know, he starts off this article by saying if, if Biden is elected, I think it would be more dangerous to China because he will work with allies to target China. Whereas Trump is destroying us alliances. Um, Yeah, that's not true. (laughs) Um, Well, it might be true that the EU doesn't like us so much anymore, but the EU is as corrupt as anything else. You know, we have a much stronger relationship with the United Kingdom, not that they are a free nation. We have, with NATO, we're not looking the other way as they pay nothing into the system. With China, Trump is the first and maybe only president since Truman to actually target the Chinese and, you know, Truman actually shot at him. So, you know, I don't think Trump has him beat there. But regardless, it's he's the first one since, you know, 1946 to do so. And you see this, this is exactly what the Chinese do. And they, they sneak around, they, they, they try to make things look different than what they are. You know, uh, Biden wouldn't, obviously Biden wouldn't target China. I mean, look look where his son made most of his money, right? Uh, obviously, well, uh, Biden could have targeted China while he was the VP of the U.S. That didn't happen, did it? Now, uh, this is like... Uh, uh, you ever see the movies where the, the heroes, they, they set a trap for the villain and they make it look like they're in a weak position? So, um, I can't think of any famous examples right now, but... Um, You know, you might have your hero say, oh, no, don't hit the red button. If you hit the red button, I'll be powerless to stop you. And the villain says, ha, you just said your weakness. I'm going to hit the red button. This is the same principle. They say, oh, no, don't vote for Joe Biden. He'd be really bad for us. And uh, they're trying to get Trump out of office. Um, But the article is worded to take what the Chinese are saying at face value. And, I mean, do we really expect anything less from our media? I mean, they pretty much want us to look exactly like the Chinese uh, in terms of economic structure, in terms of social structure, in terms of murdering anybody with a different ideology, you know, those kind of things. Um, I would argue that many of the people in the media would love to see all Trump supporters get murdered, Um but of course, if any of them are willing to debate me on it, they're will they're more than welcome to. Now, when it comes to uh, China, when it comes to how they operate, this is you know how we how we see them uh, uh, really try to play to the U.S. media to try to sow discontent. We saw this. There was some truth when the not in the fact that. Um, not in the the Russia conspiracy hoax, but in the in the sense that um, there was the Russians and the Chinese paid for Facebook ads in order to uh, try to sow discontent among the U.S. populace because if we're focusing on each other. If we're focusing on how evil our The other side is, quote-unquote, we won't look at the the bad things that they're doing. And you see how devastating the trade war was for China. And we did win that. uh, If it wasn't for COVID, funny how that works, there are some people arguing that could have been the end of the Communist Party in China. That's how bad we hit their economy. And in the same vein, so China is, is attempting to sow discontent. They're trying to get Trump out of office. They're, they're trying to get someone who's much friendlier towards them in office. And that would be Joe Biden. And now I'm not saying China couldn't be a great economic partner one day, they just need to be aligned with us. We don't need to be supporting communism. In fact, for much of America's history, we didn't. We fought against the communists. But I'm sure there are factions in the United States that would like to change that. Certainly one of them is China. But I thought I'd bring this hit piece up not because China's actually wants Trump in there for four more years, but... Just to demonstrate how they are, how they play their game, and how it's different than how the U.S. deals with other countries and deals with other countries' populations. Especially when you know you don't see Trump saying, "Oh, you know, I hope uh, um, I hope Angela Merkel gets elected. She she would be uh, you know really good for us. I hope." Gosh, I hope Boris Johnson doesn't get elected in England. Man, he'd be terrible for us. You know that. Uh, you don't see that that kind of behavior with other civilized nations, but we should expect nothing less from China. Now, and I want to end the show with this today. Um, there is also in Bloomberg when they're when they're not talking politics, they're, they're a great source. Uh, I look at them for a lot of surface level things. And sometimes you can make uh, a greater estimation based off what the, the facts that they're giving you. And here, it's uh, from their actually their market section, and it's Bridgewater, the huge investment firm. Their assets shrank by 15%. 15% this year. That's huge. That's $138 billion that the firm is now worth, not that they lost $138 billion. That that Ray Dalio and his hedge fund, um, not that they are in trouble or that they don't know what they're doing, because I would argue that Ray Dalio knows more than, is probably forgotten more than you or I will ever even know about the markets and about where to put huge sums of money. But it also illustrates the point, look... No one can predict this stuff. You think Ray Dalio wanted to shrink his hedge fund by 15%? You think he wanted to have the value fall to 138? No one likes to lose. But who can predict the stock market? Who can accurately predict the stock market? Nobody. Because it's not just companies that, that may do unexpected things. It's not just a couple of years ago when Boeing had the GPS issue that, uh, that forced a lot of their new planes to be grounded, that had some companies go away from their, their commercial lines. And Boeing's blue chip. So aside from not being able to predict that, you can't predict the government coming in and shutting down their, their own economies. And it's not Dalio's fault. It's not the investor's fault. It's not Bridgewater as a whole. It's not all the people under him. It's not their fault. If you lost money in, in, in your account, in the market, not the advisor's fault, in many cases. In many cases, it's how how on earth could they have predicted that? Now, it's unfortunate, but it happens. And if you can afford to lose the money... You know, it, it's a—it's like losing money at a casino that you can lo- afford to lose. It's like, ah, oh, well, we'll get it next time. But for people, in some cases, where look, your money—the money in the market—is what you're supposed to retire on. That's a lot, and when you calculate opportunity costs, when you c- calculate compound interest, that that. That will never be regained because of this loss. It's sad. It really is sad to know that nobody, no matter how experienced you are, can predict the stock market. And yet you've got all these people that are advertising trade like Chuck. Look how I made this money. Look how, um, you know, uh, look how I'll educate you on how to just buy my course. You're not teaching any real principles because again, no one can predict this stuff. You can take out all your graphs and everything and, and write a projection on a company. But again, that's all based on what ifs. All based on what ifs and a hunch. There are no guarantees in the stock market, and that is what I hope to get out of this conversation. But I appreciate you inviting me into your home or car or wherever you're listening to this podcast from. I've really enjoyed our time together, and I'll talk to you next Wednesday. Until then, have a great week. This has been The Kevin Prendiville Show.